So I'm so glad that we all got here today for a morning of mindfulness. And before I turn our attention to shadow Buddhas, I'd like to say a little bit about days of mindfulness. What are these things? When Thich Nhat Hanh started the Order of Interbeing in 1966, he did it because there was a group of people that he was working with that were going into the villages of Vietnam and rebuilding bombed out villages, feeding people, helping injured people. And this work was very, very difficult. And so he saw that they needed a regularly scheduled time to rest and come home to themselves. And Thai didn't invent this. A Sabbath is a perennial human activity. And it happens in, in all traditions. All our spiritual traditions have some kind of Sabbath. And so he took this idea and he made it appropriate for the needs of those people that were serving others. So this became a core of the order of interbeing, and it's also a core of our practice. And this is not necessarily a time to intensify ourselves. It's a time to relax ourselves. Because when we relax, our Buddha nature comes forward. So we don't have to worry about making it... um, rigorous or intense. We just simply have to become present and lay down our burdens. Now, some traditions do make it kind of intense. So John Morgan was here with us this morning, and he left me a note, said he was heading off to do Rohatsu. And in Japanese Zen tradition, at the beginning of December, they have an intense eight-week, eight-day practice period called Rohatsu, where they meditate many, many, many hours throughout each day. And it's a lovely uh, practice. We might take up something like that sometime. But in our tradition, we have really emphasized the organic relaxation of a day of mindfulness or a morning of mindfulness. So I hope that that's what we'll do today. We'll see this as a time to say, ah. And let the tension in our body go. Let our attention to the schedule go. Let our planning go. Let our worrying go. For some of you who are around for the the kitchen after um, morning light, I talked a little bit about what I'm in the middle of. I'm in the middle of this intense period of moving my parents and selling their stuff and cleaning out their house. So I really need this today. And I, uh, I hope that we can all support each other because I certainly need your support to have a morning of mindfulness with this wonderful Sangha. So I'm receiving your energy and so grateful for you offering it to me. Thank you. Shadow Buddhas. Shadow Buddhas. This isn't a term that we might have heard before, so I want to talk some length about what a shadow Buddha is. So I'll start by talking about, well, what is a Buddha? What's a Buddha? 
Well, the, the, the word Buddha means literally one who is awake. One who is awake. And Buddhas are important teachers. They show us the way. And they show us the way with their words. You know, the Buddha taught and spoke. And I have to giggle because one of the lines in the sutra said, uh, the Buddha playfully let words escape his golden mouth and the world ever after was entangled in briars. So words are one way that Buddhas show us the way, but maybe not the best way. The best way they show us how to, how to be is with their actions. And we've had some wonderful teachers to do that for us. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh is the perfect example for me. The way he could walk into a room changed the whole room. And sometimes his walking meditation or his tea drinking or his erasing of the whiteboard was the Dharma talk. So he was using words, but his actions were also there. And I have another teacher that's that's taught me that really well, Frank Ostaseski. And I've seen Frank use that same technique very often to convey the Dharma. Uh, one time, I remember in a retreat, right before the Dharma talk, he cut himself shaving quite badly. And he had came out with two big band-aids on his face. And he was not happy about this. And he let us know that he was not happy about this. And he was absolutely himself in that moment. And then he just let it go. And you could see him let it go. So it was such a great practice where, okay, I don't like this. And here's how I'm going to be with this. And I'm just going to show you. Uh, it's a really lovely teaching. So Buddhists are people who are awake. They're people like you and me. And we're all baby Buddhas, every one of us. We all have Buddha nature in us. Just like a baby has adult nature in them, we have Buddha nature in us. But we're baby Buddhas because we're still learning how to touch it and express it. Just like a baby is still learning how to do all the things of an adult, we're learning how to do the things of a Buddha. And there's very few of us who touch our Buddha nature deeply enough to live as full-time Buddhas. So even though we have this bright Buddha nature, we most often express ourselves as shadow Buddhas instead of bright Buddhas. What's this thing I'm calling a shadow Buddha? Well, a bright Buddha shows us the way of goodness. And a shadow Buddha shows us the way of suffering. A shadow Buddha shows us the way of suffering. Bright Buddhas are pretty difficult to find. They don't go around advertising themselves. They don't, they're not on TikTok probably. You know, they're, they're not um, um, having YouTube channels. Maybe some do. But they don't really advertise themselves. They just quietly go about helping others. And they do that without calling attention to themselves. 
Now, you might think that there aren't very many bright Buddhas around, but I think there are a lot of bright Buddhas around. They're everywhere. They're in all cultures. They're in all religions. They're in all races and speak all languages. But if you aren't already on the path, they're pretty invisible. You just wouldn't notice the bright Buddhas. The bright Buddha might be the homeless lady with the cart, uh, the, the grocery cart, and the little poodle in the seat. The bright Buddha might be the business person. It might be the lady serving lunch at the elementary school. But if you don't practice and you don't know your own Buddha inside, it's pretty hard to recognize these bright Buddhas in our world. Now, shadow Buddhas are a lot easier to find. They're, they're around. And I think most of us know shadow Buddhas. And why is that? Well, because we all suffer. And that makes us all part-time shadow Buddhas. Because our suffering that we hold inside, we project onto other people. And we become shadow Buddhas. Our suffering just ripples out into the world through our unskillful actions. We all suffer, and because we all suffer, we cause harm. And I don't say that to make us feel guilty. It's just simply a fact. It's just the way it is. Our suffering, while invisible to us oftentimes, because we ignore it, becomes very apparent to the world and causes the world to suffer. So it's really important that we know this because that gives us the possibility of reducing our harm in the world. Once we're aware that we're shadow Buddhas, we can begin to transform our shadows. But if we aren't aware of it, we won't be able to transform it. We'll just keep causing suffering. And the other side of that coin is that the more we practice, the more our bright Buddha nature shines out. Yeah. And the more we're able to heal suffering instead of cause suffering. But I think it's really important for us to remember that despite our best intentions, we all remain part-time shadow Buddhas. We're all causing suffering in the world. Okay, let's talk about practicing with shadow Buddhas. Because shadow Buddhas are all around us, so let's make the most of them. Let's make the most of their teaching. Shadow Buddhas show us the path of suffering. They show us what happens when we follow our unskillful impulses. I, I recently um, was on a ship that sailed to Hawaii and spent a few days in Hawaii and then sh- sailed on a ship back. Now, if you want to see shadow Buddhas, a cruise ship is a great place, right? Because it's us. 
and I could see the suffering that would be caused, for instance, if I didn't care for my body. There's a lot of people that were um, quite overweight on this ship. And I could see, I could look at them and I could say, Ah, oh, you're a shadow Buddha that shows me that when I have the impulse to go and take three desserts off the buffet, that's where it might lead. Thank you, shadow Buddha. I saw people who had really been uh, not caring for their bodies for a long time, and they, they uh, had trouble getting around easily. They had trouble moving and walking. And I thought, hmm, thank you, shadow Buddhas, for showing me how important it is for me to go to the gym every day while I was on that boat. Yeah, so shadow Buddhas show us what happens if we follow our unskillful impulses. This morning, at the uh, end of our sitting, we read Tori Zenji's Bodhisattva Vow. And I'd like to read just an, uh, one of those paragraphs again for us. Tori Zenji wrote, We can be especially sympathetic and affectionate with foolish people, particularly with someone who becomes a sworn enemy and persecutes us with abusive language. That very abuse conveys the Buddha's boundless loving kindness. It is a compassionate device to liberate us entirely from the mean-spirited delusions that we have built up with our wrongful conduct from the beginningless past. With our response to such abuse, we completely relinquish ourselves, and the most profound and pure faith arises. So I want to focus on those last three lines. With our response to such abuse, we completely relinquish ourselves, and the most profound and pure faith arises. So what is this response that Tori Zenji is pointing us towards? With our response to such abuse, what is this response? Well, I'd like to propose a three-part response. So the first part of this response is resistance. Now, this isn't where we want to go, but this is where we are. This is the response that we habitually have to our shadow Buddhas. The response of resisting them. When our ego encounters another ego, we often battle for dominance. Yeah. So, somebody cuts in front of me at the Safeway checkout line. So what do I do? I resist them by silently nursing a grudge against them. Stand there and go. Resist, resist, resist. Or let's say um, our spouse says something unkind to us. So we resist them by turning right around and putting them in their place, telling them off. Resistance. Or how about if we have, a say, a co-worker that's really tough to get along with? So we resist by gossiping about them with our other co-workers. Did you see what she did? Oh, man. 
So this is the chronic thing that we usually do. We, we resist the shadow Buddhas that come into our life. And for most of us, this resistance is our default. I think we see the world as a zero-sum game where you and I are pitted against each other and only one of us is going to win, so it better be me. So in a zero-sum game, I'm going to resist you if I think you're going to uh, get ahead of me. So I can see this in myself. You know, I can see I resist my parents, some kind of zero-sum game with them, or sometimes I resist my spouse, or I resist my children. Sometimes I resist my whole life. I even resist sometimes the best parts of myself. Like I resist sometimes getting up and sitting on the cushion. I resist eating my meal mindfully. I resist, resist, resist. It's chronic. And unfortunately, most of us seem to have no way out of that resistance trap. Because we even resist the solution to resistance. Right? We resist the solution, which is, of course, practice. And we resist that. So we're just stuck. And we can't benefit from our shadow Buddhas when we resist our shadow Buddhas. In fact, resisting our shadow Buddhas turns us into shadow Buddhas. Because resistance is a kind of suffering. So you see this, this resistance cycle is really hard to break out of. It just spirals us down into deeper and deeper suffering. But there is a way. And that's the second step that I'd like to share. And that's the step of moving towards acceptance instead of resistance, acceptance of our shadow Buddhas. And Tori Zenji points to this, with our response to such abuse, we completely relinquish ourselves. Or we could just as easily say our response, with our response to our shadow Buddhas, well, our response to our shadow Buddhas is to completely relinquish our resistance. Right? Our response to our shadow Buddhas is to completely relinquish our resistance. When we think of relinquishing ourselves the way it's written in the poem, I think myself is that small self, that small self that wants to assert John against the world and resist the world. But when I can re release that, when I can release that resistance, a way forward emerges. And that's acceptance. In some ways, we could think about our whole practice really as the practice of acceptance. Our practice is to be with things as they are. Right now, it's like this. And right now, it's like this. That's acceptance. 
When we're stuck in resistance, we can't distinguish between what's happening and our opinion about what's happening. Right? We don't distinguish that. It's, um, this darn house is too cold. You know, that's, that's confusing our opinion about what's going on with what's actually going on. The house is a certain temperature. I don't like it, is my opinion about it. But they aren't the same thing. They aren't the same thing. But our practice is the practice of acceptance. We see that right now, it's like this. And I either like it, or I don't. But when we accept our life right now as it is, we're not compelled to either believe our preferences or act on our preferences. We can simply see the world as it is and know we have a preference, but not be the prisoner of those preferences. But when we're stuck in this resistance, our feelings are the truth about the matter. And we just act on them. And we think our actions are correct. So how do we actually foster this acceptance? Because it's easy to say it, but how do we actually make it make it happen? Well, luckily, our meditation practice is exactly this. Exactly this. And we get to practice this every day. So we practice seeing the facts of the situation when you meditate. So right now, for instance, right now, I'm listening to a Dharma talk. Or right now, my back is sore. Maybe right now, I feel the breath at the tip of my nose. Those are the facts of the situation. And then as we notice the facts, we can also notice what our preferences are about those facts, what our ideas or thoughts are about those facts. And we can label them. So, for example, as you're sitting here listening to a Dharma talk, you may have a judgment about it. You know, this is a good Dharma talk. This is a bad Dharma talk. This is droning on and on and on. I wish you'd talk more about that. Whatever. You know, that you're hearing a Dharma talk and now you have an opinion about it or a judgment about it. So you can simply label that, hmm, judgment. And go back to listening to the Dharma talk. Or if you feel a sore back, you might feel frustrated that it still hurts after all those physical therapy sessions, all that yoga, and still your back is aching and you don't like it. So you could just label that thought frustration. Hmm. The fact is a sore back. The other fact is I don't like it. That's frustration. So you see how they're not the same thing. The fact of the situation is not our opinion about it. And we can distinguish that. But when we're locked in resistance, we can't distinguish those two things. They're just one thing. So we can use this now, once we develop this skill on the cushion, we can begin to use this skill when we encounter our shadow Buddhas. 
we can see that the actions of our shadow Buddhas are separate from our feelings about those shadow Buddhas. And when we do that, we can begin to benefit from their presence. So, for example, let's say your shadow Buddha is a bully. Um, And if all you can do is resist that shadow Buddha, you're likely to become a bully yourselves. Yeah. Because, you know, when we're resisting the the bully, we're all um, fight and no insight at all. But if we can accept it right now, it's like this. And right now I feel like this. Then we have the insight necessary to actually choose our response to that bully. You can accept both that, yes, there's a shadow Buddha in front of me who is a bully. And I feel this way about that. Now we have a choice. That's acceptance. So our our friend and teacher who passed away recently, Joanne Friday, put all this really, really simply. She used to say, am I a victim or a student? Am I a victim or a student? When stuck in resistance, we're either a victim or a victimizer. Right? We're either take the pain or give the pain. Take the suffering or give the suffering. But with acceptance, now we have the possibility of being a student. This is what's happening. This is how I feel about what's happening. And I resolve not to repeat this suffering by acting out my feelings on you. That's a student, not a victim. When we can do that, our shadow Buddhas become important teachers. They show us the path of suffering. And since we're students rather than victims, we can resolve to transform that suffering in ourselves so we and all beings might become free of that kind of suffering. One of my shadow Buddhas taught me um, how it feels to be ashamed. How to carry, I carry a lot of shame from the way the shadow Buddha treated me. And if I'm not aware that that's what's happening, that the shadow Buddha taught me something important and my feeling response to it was shame, I'm likely to simply act from that shame in the world But if I'm aware and I can accept both the actions of my shadow Buddha and the feelings that came from that, now I have the motivation to make sure that I don't shed shame on the world 
in the same way. And in fact, I think what it's done for me is to maybe go even too far the other way to give people an out that's so easy that sometimes I don't hold them accountable. Yeah. So that's, that's my stuff I'm working with. But I'm really glad that I found a practice so that I don't go around shaming people in the same way my shadow Buddha shamed me. So the third step is this. The third step in our response to such abuse, as Tori Zenji wrote, is gratitude. The first step was resistance. Second was acceptance. The third is gratitude. So once we drop our resistance and accept the events of our life and our feelings about those events, we can take that next step and actually develop gratitude for our shadow Buddhas. If we think about the shadow Buddhas in our lives, they have sacrificed their own happiness so that we can learn how not to repeat that kind of suffering. Well, they can suffer as abusers so that we can flourish as caregivers. They have suffered from gluttony, for instance, like I saw on the cruise ship, so that we can value healthy eating. They have carried the burden of anger so we can free ourselves from anger and instead practice love. And I think one of the most important ones that I've been learning lately is that my shadow Buddhas have suffered as separate selves so that I can realize the beauty of interbeing. I can see my shadow Buddhas taking life as a separate self only to the logical extreme. And I can look and say, oh my gosh, you're suffering so much. I won't go down that path too. Our shadow Buddhas have made deep sacrifices so that we can wake up. Just imagine somebody in your life for a moment that's a shadow Buddha. Imagine that they've taken on this amount of suffering in their life for your benefit so that you can wake up Would we be willing to do that for another person? Would we carry a huge burden of suffering so that they could wake up? I don't know, but this is what our shadow Buddhas have done for us. Back to Tori Zenji. With our response to such abuse, we completely relinquish ourselves and the most profound and pure faith arises. And I think this profound and pure faith is gratitude. I mean, how else can we understand the tremendous sacrifice our shadow Buddhists have made for our benefit? 
And it's so wonderful that we can move from resisting our shadow Buddhas to becoming grateful for our shadow Buddhas. How wonderful. What an amazing fruit of the practice that is. When we do that, we begin to carry the burden of our shadow Buddhas, not because they've imposed a burden on us, but because we're so grateful, we can hope to lighten their burden by practicing deeply and having gratitude. So I want to I want to um, offer a caveat here, though, because I think we can misinterpret this practice, and the caveat is this: um, accepting our shadow Buddhas or having gratitude for our shadow Buddhas does not mean that we let them victimize us more. We have to learn from the behavior of our shadow Buddhas without allowing them to harm us. So acceptance and gratitude might mean you take out your Manjushri sword and you clearly define a boundary. You know, it might mean calling the police. It might mean getting someone into rehab. It might mean speaking truth to power. But it doesn't mean that you allow your shadow Buddhas to abuse you. We can have acceptance and gratitude separate from the hope of reconciliation. You know, to, to honor our shadow Buddha doesn't mean that they have to agree to reconcile with us. They may never be able to reconcile with us. They may continue to want to treat us in a way that's unhealthy. We don't have to allow that. We don't have to reconcile to have compassion and gratitude for our shadow Buddhas. Oftentimes we learn from our shadow Buddhas without them ever knowing or agreeing or condoning what we're doing. You know, they are shadow Buddhas because they are suffering. And we can accept them and be grateful to them without becoming responsible for their suffering. So I don't mean in this talk to put on anyone that you should go and take on your shadow Buddha's suffering or become responsible for it or feel you have to solve it. Okay, so that's a lot of words. Let me just kind of review where I've gone here so we have a chance to sort of see it again. So our typical response to a shadow Buddha is to resist them. Right? That's where we start. And uh, we're, we believe we're in a life and death, win and lose struggle. And so we resist them so that we come out ahead. That's where we chronically are. And we probably all will stay there to some degree or other, even in this practice. So it's okay. Not a, not a reason to judge ourselves. But it's good to know where we start. Right? Good to know where we what what it's like where we start. And we can begin to move to practicing 
Right now, it's like this, to see the facts and label our thoughts about the facts. And when we do that, that gives us the possibility of accepting our shadow Buddhas and realizing that our thoughts and feelings about them are not the truth about them. Our thoughts and feelings about our shadow Buddhas are not the truth about our shadow Buddhas. They're just our thoughts and feelings. And as we deepen this practice of acceptance, gratitude will naturally begin to arise. And we realize how deeply our shadow Buddhas have sacrificed so that we can be free. They are Buddhas. Thank you all for your kind attention.